Good morning, Springhouse. Good morning to all the Springhousers online. If y'all would, we have a precious saint that calls Springhouse home, and she hasn't been able to come for several years because of her husband's situation. But Miss Alice, good morning today. She is celebrating her 34th anniversary of her 50th birthday today. So happy birthday, Miss Alice. And we've got a couple other birthdays in the house. Um, this morning at prayer, Pastor Justin said, man, check out them shoes. You remember when you was a kid and you go to the shoe stores and you get the new shoes and you'd run real, oh, I can run fast. I'm not running, but I got new shoes and they make me preach real fast. So we're going to preach fast today. <laughs> I apologize to at least the first three rows. Um, yesterday we had a biker event celebrating several birthdays in March and April. And I guess there's probably about a hundred of us over there yesterday, right? had a crawfish bowl, and I was trying to be good and not have any of it because I knew I was going to have to preach, and when I preach, I sweat, and when I sweat, you know, it radiates, and, and so if you smell garlic <laughs> and andouille sausage and things, I'm sorry now that it'd make you hungry, but it was good, guys. Y'all did a good job, <laughs> and uh, I also just want to take a minute if you're in the room and you helped in any capacity in the transition of the former children's ministry to the new room, would you just stand for a second? If you're in the room, I don't care if you painted, hauled trash, anything. Most of them are probably in that room. Hey, thank you, guys. Man. I was going to try to name everybody. I went, no way, because you're going to miss some people. If you haven't had the chance, because we got safety rules, but when you get a chance, you need to go look at that room. It is amazing. I mean, Pastor Barbie and Pastor Kim did all the coordination, and then just all you guys that helped haul trash, paint, build stuff. It is incredible. And I believe in investing in our children. Pastor Sherry, wow. Wow. I remember being a JBQer in the assemblies growing up, and man, it was, we didn't have fancy things like they do now with their buzzers and stuff. We just had light bulbs. And when the, you remember those ding dong button buzzer? Ding, and it lighted. That's what we had when I grew up. But man, such a great deal yesterday. So today we're talking about the big picture. How many have enjoyed this series so far? Man, we have had some incredible messages. Listen, uh, oh, I guess I should use this thing, right? <laughs> yeah. When you don't do it all the time and you like to walk and talk. Um, big picture, there we go. All righty. Pastor Barbie did an amazing job when she was talking about follow me. Do y'all remember that one? You remember Doug and who else? Who, who held the nets? Landon, there he is. You remember that? I wasn't in the room because I was helping with Cool Church that day, so I had to watch it later. And man, just the sound of them dropping that net and hearing that reverberate. And just it, for me watching the service, all I got out of that message was when you let go of those things that encumber you, when God says, come, follow me, when you just let it go and it drops in that freedom that comes from that, man, that was so powerful. And then Pastor Kevin opened up on the Beatitudes. And one of the things, isn't it amazing when you hear messages and teachings that maybe the speaker has a certain way they're going, and I'm hoping that happens to you today, but they're going somewhere, but yet the Holy Spirit shows you something different. And you go up and you tell them, oh man, that was amazing. And they're like, 
I don't remember saying that. But for me, when Pastor Ken was talking about, you know, that, that breach of 400 years of silence, and the last thing that the people remembered was from the prophets, and it was talking about that curse. If you don't follow and obey after me, that there'll be a curse that will come. And the first thing that Jesus comes when he walks on earth is flesh and blood to, re- to reveal who the Father and who the kingdom is. And he said, I've come to bless you. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. Blessed are those that are merciful. The first thing he wants to reveal about his Father in his kingdom, is this a kingdom of blessing? Man, that was such an amazing service for me. And then Pastor Barbie just did it again. Man, I, I mean, those spiritual disciplines are tough. That's why the word is called discipline. But man, when she talked about fasting and how we lay down things in honor of finding and pursuing Christ more, that was such an amazing deal. Then Pastor Ronnie Basically did my sermon, so I'm going to give the benediction, and we can all go and beat the Baptist today to uh, uh, Hickory Falls. So, Father, he's talking about blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. Boy, you like that word, thunger. I'm going to write a new revised version. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then the merciful. But that middle section if you just go back and listen to that eight minutes of Pastor Ronnie's sermon, I don't even have to be here today. Y'all, y'all can be good. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kevin closed up the Beatitudes. And for me, it was about peacemakers. How many realize we live in a world that's so full of unrest? I mean, if you don't believe it, cut on, forget national news. Look at the local news, man, the stuff that's going on locally. But God has given us the honor and the privilege to bring peace in tough situations, high school students. You know, high school sucks sometimes, doesn't it? Can I say that if I can't just... Hey, it's tough. Isn't it? It's tough. You got stuff going on and people ridiculing and riding you and you got to look and act a certain way. There's such discourse and such pain this happened in the world, but God said, blessed are the peacemakers. We have the ability to bring the peace of the Prince of Peace into chaotic, painful situations. What a sermon. Then last week, I know it's March Madness, but Pastor Justin hit a home run, man. When he's talk- How many realized there were so many things about salt? To me, it was just something I don't put on food because I'm trying to lose weight and it causes water retention. But did you realize the value of salt? But what I got out of that was how God used something that was common that they understood to relay the value, the intricate value of who we are to him. They they grasped hold of that and they knew what that was. And today we're going to look at righteousness in a little different way. So if you'll stand, we'll try to read through this quickly. And like, uh, like Miss Coble, I think she's in the room. And Pastor Kevin, we're going to try to read it with some gusto. So are you ready? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, bless your word today. Let it be impactful. Let it bring a harvest in our lives. Lord, anything that I share that's not worthy of retaining, let it drop, but let your word last. In Jesus' name, amen. I apologize for the sniffles. Apparently, it was 74 degrees yesterday. But if you ride a motorcycle in 74 degrees with just a t-shirt on, it feels like 50, and you'll go to bed and wake up sounding like this. So don't do that. And speaking of bikers, I'm not going to look at them. But when I showed up to that biker event, guess who the only biker was that rode his motorcycle? Hmm. Call them bikers out a little bit. Y'all want to step up. When, when you read these passages and people study them, and rightly so, a lot of focus is on verses 17, 18, and 19. And there's arguments about false teachers. And if you're teaching correctly, and, and like he said, not one jot or tittle, one iota or one dot. And there's a lot of focus on those, and that's well. But they're really just a setup for verse 20. In verse 20 and in this passage, it talks about three principal characters. You've got the scribes and the Pharisees and the law. Now, scribes were not just people that wrote things down or transcribed the scriptures or the law. They actually studied the law. They were masters of the law. They were educated. They were steeped in the understanding of the law. And many times in that day, they weren't paid as scribes, the services that they rendered, they rendered freely as unto the Lord. So they worked other ways. They were teachers in the synagogues. They were lawyers. Some of them officiated over civil, civil matters. Uh, earlier in the series, Pastor Kevin was talking about that the synagogue was the central place. In, in, in every community or village where there was a number of people, the synagogue was where everything was revolved around. It's where you settled disputes and things that were happening. And scribes were key in the process of that dispute and settling of things because of their understanding of the law, the Torah. Got a change for this one, Pharisees. Y'all excuse me while I get holy. Because the Pharisees, you see, actually weren't that fair. That was a bad joke, but they were members of a Jewish sect. And depending on what you read and how you study, it was somewhere around 600 BC to about 73 or so AD. And their prominence was about 200 BC through 70 before, before the fall of Jerusalem. But they were very political and religious in their authority. And they taught in the synagogues the scrolls of the Torah and oral traditions. Now, that can be a problem. See, when something's written in black and white, it's pretty easy to look at and go, well, it's right there. But it's when you start translating and trans versing things orally 
if I tell Jedediah something and he tells Carol what I told him, who tells John, who then tells TJ and it gets back to Barbie, boy, we can be in trouble. And that was their problem because they were so focused on the Torah and their oral traditions. They were highly religious and pious. They were self-righteous. We'd say they were hypocritical. They were arrogant. You had to look and dress a certain way to come into the presence of God and to know his righteousness. You had to speak in a certain way to walk in the authority of God. They chose religion over relationship. Then there's a third, the law itself. The law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, we typically call it the first five books of the Bible. It's where you find the Levitical laws. Pastor Barbie talked about several weeks ago, the 613 laws, including the top 10. We know those, right? Everybody's got to memorize out of Exodus. Yeah, there's a problem with that. Those are hard to keep, huh? We live in a day where we separate Old Testament and New Testament, but these people didn't know they were living in the New Testament. They were just living, right? It was just day-to-day operations for them. And so for them, all they knew was Torah, oral traditions, and there's a 613 checklist hanging out there that you got to go through to come into God's presence in a righteous and holy way. And Jesus comes into this passage just after he's finishing up the Beatitudes and he's telling them, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets. See, there were writings by the prophets and the whole of the, the sum of the whole was their Hebrew scriptures. And he's telling them, I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it. See, they couldn't keep them. We can't keep them. We couldn't even keep the first one. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. How many know that work is not a curse? God gave Adam the ability to work. He that does not work does not eat. Work is not a bad thing. But because of sin in the earth, the curse created the toil and the labor to it. But it says he put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, commanded. That must mean it's a rule. It's something you're to do, right? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. Adam couldn't even keep the first one. I mean, that. I like food. You, I mean, you can tell that, but I, I'm trying to like food less and use it as fuel. He had every tree to eat from. Just don't eat off of that one. How hard can that be? Apparently, it's pretty hard. And now there's 613 of them they got to keep, and they couldn't do it. I said there were three principal characters in the passage, but I want to introduce you to the key character, Jesus Let's talk about him for a minute. Jesus was a catalyst. Scripture tells us there was nothing. He wasn't good looking, 
like Scott Wilburn. I mean, you know, there was nothing to draw you to him. He was just your average, everyday Jewish man. There was nothing about his stature, his appearance. But yet when he spoke, he spoke with such authority and power. Scripture says that even when he was 12 at the synagogue, he spoke with such a way that they never seen that before. Jesus was a catalyst. He created change. And he's speaking to the multitudes. Could you imagine? I mean, I try to have this vivid. I, I, I daydream when I drive, and that could be dangerous. So if you ever see the red Ford Explorer, get in another lane or drop back or get way past me because there's no telling what's rolling through my mind at the time. But you remember Bible studies, all of us that are over 40? You remember those in Sunday school, and they tell you to close your eyes. Now imagine, you know, the, Jesus is coming to town. Zacchaeus is in a tree, the sycamore tree. A wee little man was he. You, you, know, you start imagining all this. But can you really imagine being on that hillside? And all you've known your whole life, passed down from generation to generation, is the law, the law, and all these rules and do's and don'ts that you have to keep. Then here's this guy, and he's speaking to the multitude. And he tells them, yeah, the law is good, the prophets. I didn't come to dismiss it and do away with it. I'm here to fulfill it, all of it. There's things in the Old Testament because we know the division now. We talk about giving and tithing. And Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, look, you tithe on your, dent, your mint and dill and your herbs, but you're forgetting the more important thing. You're forgetting justice and to love your God. He didn't say tithing's not important, don't do it anymore. He said, that's well and good, and you're supposed to be doing those things, but you're leaving out the more important things to keep the little details and then they would judge people because they didn't. The old parable about the speck and the log in the eye talked about holiness, the holiness of God. Talked about love. We think about God in the Old Testament, and if you don't have a full understanding, you think the God of the Old Testament is about wrath and curses and destruction. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God in the New Testament. He was a God of love. He set up those things because he wanted them to be pure and holy and be in his presence and because he loved them so much. And Jesus said, I'll remind you something that you know. What did, what did he write in Deuteronomy? What is the greatest law? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then he went one further he said, and the second one is much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That can be a challenge. Pretty easy to love God, right? I mean, God creator, God's wonderful. He blesses us, all these things. But we get hung up sometimes with that whole part, that all part. You know, if you have 1% and 99%, help me for Miss Rhonda and... Miss Vonda and all the math people, 99 greater than one, right? But if you're trying to do fractions and you have 99 out of 100, you don't have a whole. He wants all of our heart. 
uh, Elder Kurt was talking about in the offering. It's not about your money. You think the God of the universe needs your 10%? He wants your heart. Is my heart in such a place that I'm willing to give all if he asks? You know, the church in Macedonia, they were, they were impoverished. They didn't have a lot. And Paul talks about their generosity was above all else because they gave from what they had wholly. But it's hard to love your neighbor. Can be. Because the problem is, how many, how many have enjoyed the Thursday nights, the family thing, if you've been able to watch them? Man, I tell you what I love about them is that every one of them, they have been so real and so raw and so transparent. There haven't been very many happy stories from the history part, right? If you've watched this, there's been some intense situations in their life. The happy part, the joy part, is when they focus on the fact that Jesus brought such a great restoration and a healing in their relationships individually and collectively that now they can look back on the hurts and the pains from the past in such a way that now it's no longer the painful part, but it's a glorifying unto God part because of what he's done, the work in their life. And so when we hurt you know, that hurt people hurt others. So it's hard to love your neighbor sometimes because sometimes it reminds us of places of pain and hurt in our life. And it rubs up against us, man. And it, boy, it's a coarse thing. And, and it makes it hard to love somebody. And guess what? You can't. And neither can I. In and of ourselves. But man, when Christ, the hope of glory, is filled within us, the Holy Spirit empowers us, now I can look past an offense. I can look past something that was said or done to me, and I can love that person the way that I need to love myself because I need to love myself the way God loves me, right? It changes. So I challenge you this morning, if you have a struggle loving certain people, maybe you need to look inside first. Maybe you need to learn how to love yourself like God loves you. Maybe you need to understand Pastor Justin's sermon about the value of who you are and your identity in him. Because that'll change the way you look at people. So now we find ourselves addressing righteousness. This isn't one of them old Pentecostal where you want to run and throw your shoe and put money on the platform kind of sermons. So I'm sorry if you were looking for that today. And it ain't one of them giggly, laughy ones. The scribes and Pharisees were so concerned with the keeping of the law to show their righteousness that they missed the very embodiment of righteousness in their midst. See, it's not about what you can do. James says, you say, I have the, the, you say I have faith and I have works, and show me your faith through your works I, or without your works, and blah, 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 blah. Forgive me for blowing that scripture, Pastor Ronnie. I should just open that book, Oral Tradition. See, I throw back. He said, I'll show you my faith through your works. Yes, we have righteous works to do. Yes, we have things that we should do because of our faith and because of the righteousness we have through Christ. But there is nothing you can do 
to earn your righteousness. You can't buy it. You can't give enough dollar bills. You can't go to the hospital enough. You can't visit people who are sick enough. You can't go to funerals enough. There's nothing you can do to earn your righteousness. Righteousness is not a do, it's a who. Pastor Ronnie shared it a couple of weeks ago. It's not something that you do. It's a person. Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine these people? They don't, they don't know any different. All they know is what they've seen of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they realize, I can't keep all these laws. I can't dress, do, act, and be a certain way. How can I exceed their righteousness? It's pretty simple. It's him. Good works is not equivalent to righteousness. But righteousness with that capital R, Christ Jesus, the who of righteousness, will always produce good works in your life. You can't do it to be righteous. But when righteousness is in you, Christ Jesus, it will always produce good works. That was his quote that really resonated with me. It's not something you do. It's a person. And Jesus said it. He said, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. But to truly hunger and thirst after righteousness is to hunger and thirst after Christ. We've got a brother in our fellowship who had a circumstance several months ago and it left him immobile for a while. And early on, I was going every day and taking some meals and doing what I could to help out. And as he was getting better, I didn't go every day, but I was calling and texting and just checking. And some time goes by and it's just some, there's great conversations. We've developed a relationship and, hey, I want you to pray for me about this. I'm making some changes in my life, going into Lent and, uh, and there was a night that he called about 7.30 or so. And I looked at my phone. I was, we were doing our family thing. We have grown children and we try to gather. And I looked and I saw the name and I was torn. And I declined the call and just said, I'll call you back. Hit the message that tells you that. And the rest of the night, I felt so guilty. Because I felt like I let the brother down because I didn't take his call at that moment. We get through the night and the next morning I call at a decent hour. That's important, decent hours. But I called him at a decent hour and said, man, I'm so sorry I missed your call last night, but I was with my family and we were doing, and I hope it wasn't an emergency. I'm so sorry. And the brother has such grace and he said, pastor, it's okay. I don't expect you to answer every time I call. He said, you're so busy and you got so much and you do so much and you've done so much for me. It's okay. But when you're so used to doing because I want to do and I get my focus, I love the line, keep your eyes on me. Keep your focus on me. When I get so wrapped up in the doing that I forget about the being, that I, that's when shame and guilt comes in and it overwhelms. I love this part because I know it's a whole different scenario, but the focus is 
You can't do righteousness. You are righteousness if you're in him. He said, come unto me all who are heavy laden and burdened and I'll give you rest. If you're doing under your own emphasis, you're going to be burdened. You're going to be heavy laden. But when you are righteousness in him, there's a lifting of that. There's a grace that's there. Yes, it can come tiresome in the physical, but there's a spiritual rest that comes in that. You don't have to be overcome. Am I doing enough? Am I making enough impact? Am I answering the call every time? Just be. Just be. There's, I'm overwhelmed when I think about it, that Jesus was right there in the midst of them. And they were so focused on their list that they missed the very embodiment of righteousness. Right standing was God was in their midst. And they were so concerned about the checklist. Praise and worship team, come on out. If we can go to that aware of your presence. So my challenge, my encouragement to you this week is don't let your doing overweigh your being. Don't allow the temptation to think I've got to do to be accepted. I've got to do to gain his favor. I've got to do to get righteousness. It's never going to make us clean. Isaiah 64. Everything within us, our righteousness is filthy rags. But yet if we are in him and we embody true righteousness, which is Christ Jesus, we are in right standing. If you believe in me, he says, you shall be saved. He didn't say if you'll do because of me, if you'll act because of me. He said if you believe in me, you can have eternal life. It's all about identity. Trust me, if you're in him, the good things are going to come out. If you're in him, you can't help but operate in meekness. If you're in righteousness, you can't help but walk in mercy. If you're in righteousness, you can't help but be a peacemaker. But you can never be any of those things on your own. You have to be in him. So the altar call this morning for those that will pray with people, come forward. The altar call is this. This is not, I need to get saved. This is not, this is simply a call to know who you are. To know your righteousness doesn't rest on you. It rests in Him. There are brothers and sisters here that'll pray with you and encourage you. If you wanna do it for your seat, that's fine. But as the praise and worship team lead us, Take your moment, take your time now and just say, God, I realize there's nothing I can do. It's all about you. And embrace him this morning.